Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. So look forward to working with Vivardi because he's right up my street. You know, he's got. You know, I think of the strikers I work with and the Suarez, and you know, he's he's got that sheer pace which frightens team. Yeah, probably not the right thing to say, to be honest. Mm. Not the right thing to say. Um, Chelsea were great for me mm-hmm. in, in in my career. Uh, what we're behind one 0 then that became difficult for us. But I certainly didn't say to go out and blow them away. That was, that was, never ever was the instruction. Um, it was go and play our game. Brendan Rodgers is no longer the Liverpool manager. Clearly, obviously, the decision was made, but I, I wasn't aware of it. The first I spoke to the ownership was with Mike Gordon on the way back after the game when I arrived back at the training ground. You know, I was only the third manager in the history of the club to complete the treble. We were able to do it as an invincible treble, and then we did it again, you know? So, and then people will say, well, you could have stayed and done a third one, but then, and then you could have done a fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> like, I had family who were just distraught. Yeah. I left Celtic, like, just couldn't believe it. I have relations that haven't spoke to me since the day I left them. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Budge, joined by my faithful two co-conspirators, Dot and Dej. Gents, how's it going? It's uh, Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I'm, I'm very well, Budge. Good, good, good. How about you, Dej? 
I'm doing very, very well. As you can see, we're joined by... <laughs> anyway, boys, let's just get started. This of is course, so overwhelming. <laughs> this is a real uh, watershed moment for us on the platform, indeed. Uh, we are in very, very well-esteemed company. And this gentleman is uh, a manager in the Premier League, right at the top of the game. He used three words to describe the kind of manager he is. Communication, ambition, and right... This is a man who's coached up and down the country. Um, he, at Celtic, won the domestic trouble twice, uh, as well as the um, uh, Scottish League Cup in, in um, 2018-19. Uh, he's a real slick star and a smooth operator and certainly got away with words. <laughs> Perhaps in a, a, previous, uh, a previous life, he might have been a poet or a politician. <laughs> Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome the man, the oracle, the philosopher, Brendan Rodgers. Welcome, 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 welcome. welcome. Thank you, boys. Thanks for coming on, Brendan. Appreciate you taking the time out to chat with us. Thank you very much, Brendan. Can I just say it's an absolute honour to have you on the platform and you've been great with me and thank you very much. But just to kick things off, Mm. we've spoken to so many players, coaches. Mick Bill speaks very highly of you. We interviewed Frank Nubley. He said, Brendan Rogers, what a, what a character. John Joe Shelby came onto the platform and said, that was the first manager that, that used to give me spuds. Like, what is it about you that players just seem to absolutely adore and love you? I don't know, son. That's probably for other people to, to talk about. I think what I've always tried to do... Uh, whether I'm a coach or, or, or now a manager, as I've, I've always tried to emotionally uh, activate players because I think that you can be as talented as you want. Um, so if I know that you can run from here to the end of that room in 0.5 of a second, but if you don't want to run, it doesn't matter. So I need to know what's going to make you run. And for that, that's just about people. It is all about people. It's about understanding the, uh, the, the, the guy, the person, you know, even though everyone's in a team game, it's very much still in the, about individual improvement and development. And so I always try to, to understand the player, uh, but before that, understand the person and then find that, that hook emotionally that will make them uh, do their very, very best. Yeah, so we spoke to Michael Bill and he was a youth coach and he's probably had a similar career path to you. And he mentioned on our platform that you need to find that connection, you know, mentally and physically with players and you need to know what ticks. Do you think this has been something that has aided you throughout your managerial career? Yeah, I think it goes back to what you are as a person as well. I care about people first and foremost, you know, the BR on my shirt doesn't mean anything if I'm an idiot as a guy and can't connect with people. So I have a genuine care for players. And, and every player I work with, I, try, I tend to try to be as honest as I can with them. Uh, and I'll treat them like they're my own son. You know, I'll give them the advice that I would have given my own son. So, um, so I think that that's, that that's what's absolutely key. Um, in, in showing empathy for players and, and being able to 
be sincere in, in how you speak with them. And sometimes that's not always what they want to hear. But if you're sincere and you're sincere with your words to them, then you hope that uh, you, you can find that connection. A question I wanted to ask, Brendan, um, is one that's sort of looking um, back in hindsight, right? And this is taking you all the way back to very, very early on in your career. So whilst you were playing. Mm. And, and the key uh, point and, and word that comes to mind is perspective and how often perspective can change over time, right? Mm. Now, when you, when you go back at, and, and, and you look at your, your playing career, of course, it's, it's um, reported that, you know, you, you, you will retire early because of a, a niggling um, issue that you had with your knee. But then uh, sort of after that, you spent a long time uh, working um, as, as a youth coach and, and working with, with young players and whatnot whilst you were still young. So looking back at it, of course, at the time, you might have been uh, frustrated and upset that your, your playing career came to a halt so early on. But when you look at, at, it, at it now, do you feel like it almost gave you an advantage in your managerial career because you were able to spend such a long time working with young players and you're you know, quite young now and you've been able to amass so much experience over, over, over that, that period of time? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Listen, when I when I stopped playing, I, I was a talented young player that was good enough to move across from Northern Ireland to, to England. So my whole idea was that I wanted to be a, a top player, like probably all of us. You want to be the <laughs> best player. Right? But I was always realistic as well. But when I was struggling in around that 19, 20 years of age, I had a decision to make. I also went into, I dabbled into no league for a little bit as well and and, there, and, and the, the brutal honesty was it wasn't for me you know I, I always my, my vision was always to try and be the best that I could be and uh, and when I went in there the good guys guys were having to work for a living as well and, and whilst playing and their love of football was there but that wasn't why I I, I came to England so I had a decision to make, and to be honest, it was pretty pretty straightforward. I either go home and and try and earn a living, maybe playing part time football or whatever, or go down a different route. And a guy had said to me, a guy called Kevin Dillon, who used to coach at Reading and played for Newcastle and um, whatnot, and he was a fantastic player. He actually said to me when I was young, he said, "You'd be a great coach. You're very good technically, and." You can demonstrate with young players. And I'd never thought about coaching before. And and then around that age, when I went on my first course, that's when it all lit up for me. Because I felt, I'm not going to be a top player. And even though I was fit, I wouldn't have been a top player. That's the reality. You know, I just wasn't probably quick enough. I could do all the skills, I had all the touches, I knew the game, but I didn't have the body of a top player. So... Um, but my brain was always thinking top level. So from that age then, from 20 to 30, I then set out on a journey to, to learn. And to this day, I'm exactly the same. And like I would say to you guys, you never stop developing. And I've never been one where when I reach something, I feel that's it. I'll develop until the day I drop into my coffin. So you got to keep learning. But that early stage for me was invaluable. Because I could make mistakes out of the spotlight. You know, I have empathy for, for players and top players in particular 
could go right the way through your career and then maybe at 34, 35, have to go straight into management because their mistakes is in front of the camera. So I was fortunate in, in, a, in a way where, okay, I didn't have the football career, but now I could invest time into, into learning. Yeah, so Brendan, we're going to talk about the here and now. Obviously, the coronavirus epidemic has just thrown everything off course, mm. and there's been and that there's going to be, you know, close contact training. How have Leicester overseen the coronavirus situation? And we've recently seen players come out and said they're not going to train due to feeling uncomfortable. Troy Deeney came out. Obviously, now he's going to go back to training because he's comfortable with the information that's been given. In Golo Kante, he's had some heart issues, so he wanted to stay away from the training base. How has Leicester been handling the, the whole pandemic? And what stage are you at with training? Well, these two actually began today. Okay. So this morning we were back to, to full contact. Um, now, over the course since it started, I can, and I can only talk about Leicester City, but we'll, we'll come out of this whole pandemic and situation a stronger club because what it has allowed us to do is communicate even closer. So from the board to the manager to the players, you know, the rhythm of our work totally changed. We've had to be agile, but we've also had to be transparent in it all as well. And that's something that, is, that has really been key to it. You know, we've all known each other, every single one of us, each step of the way, what was happening. The communication side of it all has been very, very clear. And obviously the leadership style of, uh, and, and how we've wanted to work, we've tried to really uh, take the lead with it, with, with, with the players and the staff. Um, and that's how it's been. We've, we've taken every precaution here at the training ground to make sure that it's, the objective is to have the safest environment. And I can totally understand by the likes of Troy and Gallo and, 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 and the boys here, I, I talk to them and, and they know that with, with Kante, that there's, this is a guy who just gets on with his life and he's an amazing player. So for him to question or consider going back, they know there's definitely something that he's feeling. And you have to respect that. But what you, what you have to do is, is try and create the, you know, look to have the safest environment you can and then I think when players then come back into it, they will gradually feel that confidence. And we did that. We brought the players back on an individual basis so they could okay. see everything around the training ground, all the work that has been done to keep them safe. We then brought them back into groups of five for the last week. And then to that we can go full contact today, we, we still separated two groups. We one group started at 10 till half 11 one at half 11 till one o'clock and they were in two groups of 12. So there was contact, but it wouldn't, it wasn't what we would know as contact alone. So, uh, and it was great. The players came through it well and it's given them confidence and now they'll come back in tomorrow and continue with the, uh, with the process. Brendan, did any of your players, you know, raise concerns to you, um, suggesting that they may not be comfortable returning to training? Because we spoke to a few FA registered intermediaries and they've said a lot of players have been, you know, pretty reticent um, to go back to work. So have you, how have your players been? They've been first class. I think what, what, we've, what we've tried to be with them is as open and honest as we possibly can. So from day one in the process, we've, 
we've been liaising with Wes and Casper Schmeichel, so our captain and an assistant. Um, we've been liaising with our leadership group, where we have six players, a mixture of young and old, outlining every process right the way through. And then obviously we've been having our big group Zoom chats. So I think communication is absolutely key in all of this. Uh, and, 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 and I think because of that, then the players have always been um, first class with it. So listen, for sure, everyone was a little bit tentative. I think it's not until you come into the and you actually feel and see everything that's going on and then you do your work, you then start to realise this could actually be the safest place for you to be because you're getting test, tested twice a week. Everything is prepared here for you. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the players have been first class. So we've had no one, really, that has, has not wanted to train or not wanted to give it a, an opportunity to work, which, uh, which is great. Brendan, I wanted to ask a question. Now we're talking about preparation and, and, and players returning to training and whatnot. It's a, it's a question that I've always had in, in, in my mind and I've always wanted to ask in that, do, do certain players have tailored fitness um, uh, programs for them um, to, to work on specific things, say? And the reason why I ask is because of the, the curious case of Jamie Vardy, right? So you look at his age, generally speaking, right? What you, what you tend to see is, you know, post-30 from a from a, a physicality standpoint and, and, and fitness and, and so on and so forth, that players tend to, to start their decline, right? But if you're looking at sprints per game, if you're looking at um, just 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 on, on an eye test, right? The guy is as fit as a fiddle. He's running up and down, left, right and centre. And in, in terms of the way, you know, you, the, the way that you guys play and, and how integral he is to that, is there ever a worry that he might... Um, you know, overexert himself, or you know, he, he he might need to be managed slightly differently to a, a player who is a bit younger. Say, I think you do that as a as a manager. You know, it's you know you you can't treat the seventeen year old the same as the twenty seven year old or the thirty seven year old. So like like so, Wes Morgan now is thirty six, and I'll I'll manage him differently to Cags or, or Young Center. And James is exactly the same. I don't think you can throw a blanket over everyone. They're the same because it's the, the, the dynamics, the how the players are physically and mentally are, are different. So, um, but I've got to say, coming into to Leicester City, I was so looking forward to working with with Barry because he's right up my street. You know, he's got. You know, I think of the strikers I work with and the Suarez, and you know, he's he's got that sheer pace which frightens team you know and I've really sensed that when I've been in the Premier League and when we've gone away from home and playing in certain grounds once he's right on the limit of the back four and he's away you sense the home crowd just the, the guy yeah. <laughs> and now he's away and you're not catching him. he's so explosive but what is so what, what has been a real nice surprise about Jamie he's tactically so good in the game he knows football. He's, he watches football. He watches games like you guys and I will and study the game and loves the game. He knows football. But you see him going into coaching? Maybe, maybe one day. I think he's... The point you last made, I think, first of all, at 33, he's still fit. 
and maybe coming into the game a bit later. He was what, but twenty-four, mm. and he came to into the game. So maybe that will give him a few extra miles on the clock. In terms of speed, he's he's as quick as I've ever worked with over over that uh, twenty meters. He's so explosive, and um, he's very lean. He's adapting his diet, and of course, he's uh, he's been absolutely brilliant for me. You know, so um, now a real top top class striker. Different to the strikers in the Premier League, but but for threat, he's he's incredible. Brendan, very quickly before we move on to your time at Chelsea, um, we spoke um, to Danny Simpson um, earlier on in the week, and he said, you know, leaving Leicester was one of the toughest decisions of his life because he said you were absolutely amazing to him, and he only spent four months with you, and he said you are one of the best managers he's ever worked with. And I also asked him about Jamie Vardy in terms of, do you think we'll ever see another Jamie Vardy again? So, for example, he came in the game late from non-league, um, became a Premier League winner at Leicester. In my opinion, the most historical Premier League win. Um, he went on to be an England international. And now, for me, he's a Premier League legend. So, do you think we'll ever see someone like that again? Or do you think those days are gone? Well, no, I think it always it always comes up from time to time. I think to, to go through that story of what Jamie's been through will be very, very difficult for any player but there'll always be that hope out there that there's a, a young player that for whatever reason through the system at 18 19 he's gone in to non-league because he wants to play with his mates but then after a few years he realizes actually I can be a professional like just because I've matured more so and and I think up and down the country there's so many talented players you know especially in non-league football it's just whether they can then make that switch mentally to preparing and being professional. So Jamie's journey is it is unique and it's unique to but I would hope that going forward there will be a few more players like that that, that can uh, come out of the woodwork. And okay, you don't need to be ready at 17, 18 if you are amazing. But by 21, 22, if you get that opportunity, then... Dennis, I think Jamie has shown the path for every young player. If they are in non-league, that you can still achieve your your dream. Yeah. So Brendan, obviously we're going to go back to the start because I think your career has been a marvelous one so far, and a lot of it works in chronological order. So we want to go back to Chelsea, um, who you joined in 2004, and you had a great time working with the likes of Michael Mancian, Jack Cork, players like that. How crucial! Was that good for you in terms of your development and us seeing the manager we see today? That was a huge part. I spent 14 years in total at Reading, 10 as working as a coach in the academy. And when I finished my apprenticeship there, which was a great time for me, my next step going into Chelsea in 2004 was going into a world-class environment. So I knew that I was going to go in and work in an environment that was that was at the very highest level, with with top-level people and, of course, young players and senior players that were, were some of the best in the world. Uh, so so my, my time at Chelsea provided, provided an incredible foundation for me uh, with uh, working with young players and then working with some of the world-class players. 
And of course, that then gave me the confidence then to go on and become a manager. Yeah, so you worked with Jose Mourinho during your time at Chelsea. And this is a manager we see today. Obviously, he's a Tottenham manager right now. There's been a lot of criticism, people saying he's a man of yesteryear. You knowing him so well, do you still think he can challenge for titles with Tottenham? And how good is he as a manager? And also, how is he as a man? Yeah, when I joined, it was, it was Josie had joined in June of 2004 and I joined in the early September. And for me, it was a fascinating period working with him because he'd just come from being a European champion at Porto. And I think everyone's seen the impact from the outside looking in what he'd made to Chelsea in those first few years. And I was fortunate because I was in pole position to that. You know, a young coach, 10 years younger than, than Jose. But just getting the chance to see how he worked in terms of the detail in his work, how hard he worked, his charisma with the players, um, his courage as a coach. And, uh, yeah, I got a wonderful insight into the elite level of, of coaching by, by working with Jose. And a great time for me also. So I have a huge amount of respect. I'll always be grateful for that period. And then I work with other good guys in there as well, like Neil Bath, the academy manager there. Neil was a, was a great guy, and I work very closely with him. Frank Arneson, who's a, a big name in the European game. Frank offered me great support as well. Um, but Josie, from a managing and coaching perspective, he was... Um, yeah, he played a real key part in my development. And uh, and like I said, it's something that uh, I'll always be grateful for. You know what, Brendan? Yeah, so Jose, Jose Mourinho has been obviously criticised recently. Um, people are saying maybe he's the man of yesteryear. Do you still think he can compete at that top level? Because when we think about managers nowadays, people talk about it being Klopp's time, Pep's time. And Mourinho is constantly having to prove himself. Do you believe he's still got what it takes to win trophies at the highest level and deliver for Tottenham? Yeah, absolutely. Because the, the, the older you get, the, the more experience you get, the better you become. You know, it's, it's, it's as simple as that. He's, he's proven to be a, a world-class coach. It will always be also about the players that you work with. You know, you, you have to work with with top-level players in order to, if you're going to win trophies and win consistently. So, um, but there's absolutely no doubt, you know, he's uh, he's a world-class coach and, and he's proven that over time and I'm sure he'll continue to do that for his career. You know, um, Brendan, I actually wanted to follow up on Deji's question there because we've obviously um, just been speaking about uh, uh, Jose Mourinho, but you've also mentioned in the past that you can draw inspiration uh, from the work um, from Marcelo Bielsa and, and Johan Cruyff, for example. Mm-hmm. I, and I just wondered if um, you'd ever learned any lessons uh, from a, a, a more unexpected source. So, of course, these are managers that you've, I, I, you know, either previously worked with or, or have been able to observe their work. But have there been any lessons that, that you've learned along the road that perhaps came from, from nowhere that you wouldn't have expected before? Have you been taught something, a thing or two by the players that you've worked with, for example? Yeah, no, no, both players and, and coaches and managers. You know, I, you know, when I was a really young coach at Reading, 
Alan Pardew was starting out in management then, uh, and Alan was fantastic at Reading, and uh, he he was very good, and I learned a lot of things from from Alan in that period. Just watching him, and and just his patience with me as a as a youth coach, and and even as a manager. And I was taking the youth team. He was very interested in my work, you know, which was slightly different, but he he respected it, and we had a lot a lot of really good conversations. Um, and of course, I'm very, I'm very curious. You know, I like to find things out. I like to observe. I like to to look at things. I'm also as as a manager. I'm into the leadership side as well. So I I look into um, you know I look into that side in terms of how and, and little tips on managing people and and, and creating a vision for for your club and your team going forward. So. Um, but no, I've learned so much from, from so many people. I couldn't even name you. And that's because, I, like I say, I'm curious to, to learn and to ask questions and uh, something that I'll always, uh, always continue to do. Brendan, um, you know, it's known publicly that you're a massive fan um, of Johan Cruyff. Um, and for me, I've always seen you as a manager that loves the, you know, the passing brand of football, the attacking, expressive, expansive brand. So did you almost model your philosophy on that 1990s dream team that had, you know, Romario, Pep Guardiola, etc. in it? No, I was, I think from a young person, a young player, I loved the technical game. My, my father absolutely adored Brazilian football. You know, so he adored the, the the skillful player who could excite him, and so I grew up watching that type of, of player. And then I, I suppose I tried to be that, but was never as good. <laughs> but that was my game, and and also I grew up in a, in a time where British players were they they were maybe deemed not technically as good as European players. So my, my philosophy very much when I was younger was based around it, it's about giving players confidence. You know, you see kids from the streets of London and, and up and down the country, they do tricks and they do things that are absolutely phenomenal. But if they don't have a coach who can give them confidence to take that onto the pitch, then and, and they don't have, and they're frightened to be creative, then then there's a waste of talent there. So my my identity has always been that fusion between the British mentality, mm-hmm. you know, where that that fight and that spirit and technique and quality, and the European game. So where the, the tactical side of the game, and then can we then bring the two together, and then have your your players, whether they're British players, wherever they're from, play a technical game at a high level, a tactical game, and and. And I always like, I suppose, my teams to, to take the game with a scruff of the neck, you know, to, to impose their, the style. and Because I think that's what supporters want. But that, that philosophy has been with me since I was a young coach, wanting to impose my way in the game, looking to press the game, be aggressive in the game. And, uh, and like I say, have, have good balance. And, and obviously that has developed over, over a number of years. Yeah, so Brendan, you took your first managerial role at Watford. Then you went over to Reading and you made a lasting impression on a lot of the players there. Dave Kitson, Joby McEnough, 
they've all come out and said, you tried to teach them Spanish. You thought that this was very important for their personal development. And you would often bark out instructions in Spanish, you know, to try and make them understand a particular message. Going into that job at Reading, you know, taking over from such a, probably the best manager in Reading's history, Steve Koppel, in changing that philosophy. How did you find that challenge and what lessons did you learn from it? Maybe that was my problem. Maybe I, was talking <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should have talked English. I might have lost it. <laughs> so, uh, no, listen, that, that, that was probably the saddest part of my career at, at, at Reading because I loved the club. I'd lived in the, the, the city for 20-odd years. I'd left Walford uh, when I shouldn't have done. But I, I did. I felt it was right to go back to Reading. I thought they were going to be closer. I was so hungry to get to the Premier League. And I felt that Reading would give me the chance quicker. And it was the club I knew. And when I went there, it just didn't quite work out for me. Nothing to do with the players. The players were brilliant. Uh, I just didn't, it just didn't work out. You're absolutely right. Steve was a legend there. He had had, he was the greatest manager in their history. And, uh, there was, there was a nice feeling for me to go in there, but I think there was also a lot of frustration with the club because they'd just come out of the Premier League. They were selling about you know, 14 players that were going that summer. And the idea of then having to rebuild for two, three years seemed nice in theory. Actually, when we got started, it, it, it proved difficult. So, um, so yeah, I ended up, obviously, I, I got the sack from there on December the 16th, it was. <laughs> oh, uh, back in 2009 but, uh, but again a great learning but all those guys I brought I worked with Joby at Watford worked with uh, took him to Reading an amazing guy you know bright clever they, they, they were they were fantastic for me but yeah the players were the players weren't the problem I, I was the problem <laughs> <laughs> so, so Brendan we're, we're going to move on and speak a little bit about your time at, at Swansea but just before we do that I wanted to ask a question question um and 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 the question is before you decide to join a club and take on a new challenge generally what is what is your thought process what what are the things that you consider what are the non-negotiables so you're not going to take on a new challenge unless these can uh, I wouldn't say these conditions are met but you need to see these sort of things in place or the plans for certain things to be in place what what's the general uh, feeling and, and thought process for you well, I always join a club because of the sporting vision of what it is they want to achieve. And obviously I've been sacked at, at Reading. I was renowned for being this coach and and I was then in a, in a manager's job in Watford at Reading for one year. And then I was out of work. And uh, so now I'm under pressure because I've coached right through my life for 15 years, built up decent reputation I now go into management it started okay and then all of a sudden I'm out of a job now I know my next job I'm I'm under pressure so and I need to 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 not just get a club I need to get the right club and uh, when I was out of work I I wrote to a few clubs didn't uh, didn't get any reply but when I spoke with with Hugh Jenkins at at, uh, Swansea we just clicked we, we talked for about five hours. And this was then, this was the first guy I had in football as a manager. I mean, this is a, a chairman, but he was like a sporting director. 
and Hugh, I didn't need to convince about football. It was so refreshing. He understood totally, and that's why the, the philosophy at Swansea was there. He got the game, and, and for me, it was so refreshing. But I'll always look at the, the, the sporting vision of the club, and, and going into Swansea, they, they wanted to ensure that they stayed in the championship. There was uh, a vision of playing an attractive brand of football because that's what the Swansea supporters had been brought up in for from, from many years. And then there was also the challenge because you had Cardiff, who were the big rivals. Uh, they, it was who was going to be the first team, uh, waste team, into the Premier League. And of course, Cardiff had just missed, they were missing out uh, when they played uh, Blackpool. The year Blackpool went up, they beat Cardiff in the final. Cardiff had a much bigger. So there was the challenge then, the sporting challenge of could we then become the first team uh, into the Premier League? So, so that's the first thing I look for. Mm-hmm. I know, like most coaches, and, and, and all the jobs I've taken, it's the, 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 the money aspect. I know that lots of clubs have been at, they're never going to be the highest payers, they're never going to be the, the club that's going to give out the, the most money. However, as long as I can develop players and, and improve players and make them better and, and have no compromise on preparation, then that's, that's what I'll always see when I go into a club. Brendan, talk to us about your time at Swansea because from the outside looking in, me personally, if I had to ask you off record what is your favourite team to work with, I potentially feel you may say that Swansea team because what you've done there was absolutely unreal. I mean, you had Leon Britton in the midfield, Joe Allen, um, Ashley Williams, so many good, good players. You got promoted into the Premier League and you just took the league by storm. You had just a breath of fresh air. Like, it was literally on every Saturday, Dej, did you see Swansea's performance this weekend? Did you see the way they played <laughs> this team off the pitch? <laughs> so, just talk to us about your time at that club because I'm sure they'll remember you forever. Yeah, it, it, was, it was like a magic carpet ride, really. <laughs> You know, we, we'd gone in, but we just missed out on automatic promotion. Yeah. We'd finished third in the league, so we're now in the playoffs. And then I arrive into the, the game, the playoff final, funny enough, against Reddy and the team that sacked me. And uh, I'm now in the, the biggest life-changing game of my career. You know, because from that, we, we, we won that game, got promoted. And then the whole idea was, could we then go into to work with, with the way we wanted to play and our idea of football and bring that to the Premier League? And I always felt that our game model would work well in the Premier League because it was about having the ball. It was about being creative. And I felt we could, we could do well. And, and it was really a combination of everything. I, 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 players that were hungry... Players, a lot of them had never been to that level. They'd come up through the lower league, you know, and then all of a sudden we, we, we got into the Premier League. And our identity, we wanted to maintain in there, you know, because after I think it was about four games, and we played well. Yeah, but people said, mm-hmm. I remember there was a game, there was a game against Manchester City. Mm. I remember, I think your first game of the season, you lost 4 0. But when I saw that game, I was saying to Dot, this is a talented manager. You could see your philosophy, your principles are non-negotiable. 
And I said to Dot at that stage that this manager is going straight to the top <laughs> because if you're able to work with, no disrespect to them because they were talented players, but better players, then, you know, you're one to watch. Yeah. Well, for 60, for fantastic. Mm. And then you know the problem? They brought on Aguero. <laughs> <laughs> That was actually his first game in England against ground running, didn't he? Against us, and uh, I'm thinking, wow, this guy costs more than our stadium. <laughs> <laughs> and he's come on, and then they let the game, and then they end up winning, winning four 0 But yeah. from that game, we got a great confidence. You know, our next game we drill. Uh, next two games, Wigan and Sunderland. Um, our fourth game, we lost away at the Emirates. It was uh, unfortunate. We uh, we made a mistake. We lost 1-0. So now going into the fifth game, we're under pressure. But that was, we hadn't scored at that point. We played well. But everyone was saying, mm, can they survive in the in the Premier League? But it was just about, I had no compromise in how we would play. There was no, this is how we work. And uh, then in our fifth game, we beat West Brom. Uh, 3-0 at home and we were uh, we were fantastic and uh, and that was the start of it then and then we had some great performances against big teams uh, beating Arsenal and, and teams you know so uh, Man City at home drawing with Liverpool but close with Chelsea so we had some fantastic games and uh, it, ended up, it, was a, it was a great season for us Brendan, um, in March 2012, you know where I'm coming. You know where I'm coming to. Um, you famously said, I want to make my career, not break my career, when you were linked with the Chelsea job. Um, a few months later, you signed you know, for Liverpool. Um, what made you be reticent towards Chelsea for accept the Liverpool job? Yeah, probably not the right thing to say, to be honest. Mm. Not the right thing to say. Um, Chelsea were great for me mm-hmm. in, in, in my career. Uh, well, when I got to the end of the season, I'd actually signed a contract for Swansea in the January. Okay. I signed it for two reasons. One, the club wanted me to, and there was, there was links at that stage with me leaving. But I also wanted to, because if I would have stayed on the same contract, and I left, uh, I would have left for 200 grand. And I felt that if I leave Swansea, you've given me so much, given them everything, but they gave me the opportunity. I felt that if I left, I wanted them to get more than 200,000. Because I felt that if a club wants to take me from Swansea, they'll have to pay for it. Mm. And, uh, and that summer, I had an opportunity to uh, to leave to go to a couple of clubs but I, I chose to, to go to Liverpool um, I think in terms of Chelsea with all due respect I've never ever been offered the tour or whatever I've had an amazing time there as a youth and reserve coach and, and loved the club and, and, and probably said a couple of you know, things when I was young uh, as a manager which uh, which uh, isn't you know I, I would apologise for you know but um but I had a chance to go to Liverpool. And this is one of the iconic institutions in the world. And at that time, again, the sport and vision, they were eighth. 
So I felt that could I go in and 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 I knew the club was out of the Champions League for five years. I understood they were going to have to cut the budget and go to you know wages and everything else. But could we then create something uh, with that budget? Because we're outside of the top six and it's tough. Um, but the experience of Liverpool was was amazing. Incredible institution. Yeah, Brendan, that brings us nicely onto you know my next question. I remember that summer they were drawn out, you know, processes. I think Roberto Martinez was being linked up. We famously saw him in Miami with John W. Henry. You were being linked at a stage it looked like Roberto Martinez was the front runner. Then up pops, you know, the hundred and eighty page dossier, one mm. club, one vision where you, you know, handed over to the Liverpool owners your vision for the club. Initially, the club were thinking about appointing a sporting director. Louis van Gaal was being mentioned, but you weren't really keen on that idea. So eventually the club came round to the fact that we believe in this young manager and he's going to be the man to turn around our fortunes. So how was that process going through and negotiating that you wanted more control over what happens at Liverpool? Yeah, no, it was something, I think at that stage, at that stage of my career, I was about 30, 39. So the club had had a sporting director, um, Damien Camoli, if you remember, he used to be at Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Damien had left. So, um, and then there was the possibility of maybe bringing in someone else. Um, I suppose my point to the, the club at the time when I was speaking with them is that probably if you, if you really want to do that, then you probably need to bring in that person before me as opposed to me come in and then bring in someone else and they might not want me there. You know? So, um, But all the talks were smooth. The, 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 the ownership at the time were obviously new into it as well. And they were great with me. They, they just said, look, listen, we want you. So they brought myself in and... Uh, and yeah, they uh, they gave me the support as best they could, and yeah, it, it went from there. No, Brendan, that um, that question and that answer actually um, fits in perfectly with the, the next question that I wanted to ask you, which is how integral to your um, role and your job that you do as as a coach and the manager of of the team is being involved in the other aspects and elements of the team. And so, by way of comparison. Um, you know, in, in the latter years of, of his tenure at, at Arsenal, one of the things that sort of was, was, was generally felt um, across the fan base and, 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 um, and that kind of thing was that he was too involved in the, the, the club. So looking at things from a commercial perspective and, 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 and transfers and, and, and all of these kind of things. And, and ultimately, these things, to some extent, served as distractions for for him in his day-to-day in terms of looking after the team. So from your perspective, how, how do you see that? Is, is it really important to you, for example, to be involved in and know about what's happening at, um, in the club at a board level? For, um, or, or do you see it as a bit of a distraction and it's just better to focus on um, the, the team and the players that you've got to manage? You know, I, I think if you look at Arsenal and what he did there, and he was the last of that, probably era of manager where they were the manager and they put in place everything at the club. Uh, and what he did for the club was was phenomenal, you know. 
Um, I think if I look now where I am now, as, as I say, he is a 47-year-old manager to where I was at Liverpool at 39. You know, my, my view and outlook on that has, has changed totally, really. I think my, my strengths are with um, players on the field, preparing the team. Because of my background in academy, I know quite a bit about a lot of the other various aspects. But what I tend to, to do now is you tend to, to trust other people and, and support other people because management is a status that you have. But you're only as good a leader by the people that you have. And that's about giving them trust and giving them the possibilities to, to work and, uh, and work in a good way. So for me, it's... I'll always have an interest in supporting the commercial team because when I come into a club, I want to work with everyone. You know, my, my, my vision is based around the people and I want to help the kit man do his job the very best he can. I want to help the person in the stadium. How can I help them? So that, that's the type I am. However, what I would say is the more experienced I've gained, I've learned to focus on really what my strengths are and I'm much more experienced in the game now to take a step back and just overview uh, and, and take it from there. So, and that is the way that the, the, the football is going also, you know. So you have to, as a manager, you have to go in with authority into any club and, and listen, this is how I want to work. But then you also have to work with people. And, and as long as there's a shared vision of that, then uh, you, you can help and recommend other in other departments at the club, but uh, I'm not going to tell the physiotherapist how to do his job when he's a specialist in it. But I'll ask questions. Yeah, you know. But as long as we're all for the one goal, then that's what's most important. So, Brendan, in the summer, obviously, you did bring in Joe Allen and Barini um, with your team behind you that you know contained um, Ian Air, Barry and Hunter, the fellows, and a few of the other people that are still at the club now. But in the January's um, transfer window, I think this was like a massive shift in the dynamic of the Liverpool team. And in my opinion, I think it's the best 20 million the club have spent since I've been supporting the team. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Sturridge for 12 million. Felipe Coutinho for 8 million. The instant impact that they had on the team how, how did it make you feel? Did you think, wow, I'm getting closer to what I want to achieve here? Yeah, I think that if you, if you obviously, if you've watched my teams over a period of time, you'll see I like quite dynamic flexibility, rotation, movement, speed, power. That's <laughs> the makeup of, of my teams. And when I, when I uh, was looking at the team in the, that first six months, um, that there were certain ingredients we were we were missing. Philippe was one that I knew from my Chelsea days because uh, we tried to get into Chelsea when he was fourteen, but he'd already committed to to Inter Milan. Um, so we talked about him in the summer, kept tabs on him, and then all of a sudden he became available. And at nineteen, we thought, "Wow, right, let's get this boy in." And and people, most people probably look at him and think he's not, you know, he's not for the Premier League. But what a talent. 
it's you know he intimidates people when he has the ball with his quality, you know, and it's it's sad to see. I hear people talk him down at a little moment because it hasn't quite worked out. This boy is top, and if he comes back to the league, he'll he'll show that he's he's world class. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, so him that combination of his technique and flair and unpredictability. And then you've got Daniel who, if he if he didn't have the injuries he had, he, this kid had everything. And for me, for 18 months, he just lit up the Premier League. Hit everything. You talk about power, touch, speed, um, finishing, celebrations, everything. Yeah, yeah, he's just scored all types of goals. So you think I had the likes of him and and and, and uh, Louis with Coutinho and Raheem in behind all that. It was such an explosive uh, front end of the pitch. But um, but that but that January, the, the one player that gets like in that little sort of sequence. It's, it was when we started to to climb with Jimmy Carragher because Jimmy was in his last year at Liverpool um, he his role was to support the centre-halves Daniel Agger and, and Martin Skirtle but I watched Jimmy in training every day and I seen him in the cup games that he played he never made a mistake and he was a talker and he was a great organiser and there was to the point just after Christmas where I said to my staff I've got to put Jimmy in I know he's the oldest statesman and this is his last year but for me he's our best centre half so he went into the team Sturridge came into the team and Coutinho came into the team and then it was well, it was a different sport then we then from that January grew and in for 18 months we, we played some fantastic football yeah, so speaking about Jamie Carragher, um, I remember reading that he actually came out and said that he was meant to form part of your coaching staff, but that decision actually changed and you actually went for Mike Marsh. What mm. was the thinking behind that decision? Was it the fact that maybe you thought he might cloud your management? You know, being a legend, you didn't want him to overshadow you or was there other reasons behind it? Yeah, yeah, no, no, it, it was pretty straightforward. And it was funny because I'd done an interview earlier on the year when we played Liverpool and, and Jay interviewed and he asked me that okay. question, you know. So it was it was straightforward. I was going in with the intention of asking him to come into my coaching staff uh, rather than the, the, the playing side. Um, but when I, when I, when I actually met him, when I had joined as manager and I met him before we, we started pre-season, my, the communication with him, it, it just seemed more that he wanted to be on the playing side and still focus on the playing. Um, and if that was the case, it wasn't going to be the role for him because I needed someone, a bit like what Colo Turi, you know, if you think of what Colo's done for me, you know, he, he, I took him to Liverpool, then to Celtic, and then when he and then when he thought he wasn't sure what he wanted to do, and I gave him the offer of, of coming into my technical team, he did that, and then he really focused on the coaching. 
and th- that's what I was sort of looking in a similar role for Jamie. But but he was right. He wanted to continue to play, uh, but I didn't just see, I didn't sort of see the player coach uh, combination at that time. But he was he was absolutely first class for me in my time there. Brendan, in the interest of time, we're going to fast forward to that you know terrific um, season where. Liverpool just missed out um, on the league. Obviously, you had the SAS partnership, you know, <laughs> causing destruction to all defenders. Um, but to me, from the outside looking in, I think after that Chelsea game, it took a lot out of you. And I think Steven Gerrard in his autobiography um, wrote that, you know, you said, go out and blow them away. Looking back in hindsight, would you have approached that game differently? Well, firstly, I didn't say that. Mm. You know, that, that was something that I didn't say. Um, the game against Chelsea was, if you, so if you think on it, we're coming off the back of 11 games on the spin, winning. So nothing changes. Why would we change? You know, I think that the again I talked about the emotion. Um, it was it was really building at that stage, and at that point we we hadn't lost at home. So for for us, it's, let's go and play the game that we've played all year, impose our way into the game, mm. and uh, but we knew it was going to be a difficult game. For seventy minutes of the game, take away Dembélé's goal, we we actually played well. You know, we, we had chances to score, couldn't score. But then our inexperience, not just in terms of young players, but inexperience of being in that position for uh, for for lots of, of people and I suppose the emotion around being behind 1-0, then that became difficult for us. But I certainly didn't say to go out and blow them away. That was, that was never ever was the instruction. Um, it was go and play our game which was to go and impose our way, you know, and, and it was just unfortunate what happened on the day. Yeah, so Brendan, um, it subsequently came out, Stephen Gerrard in his autobiography said on the eve of that Chelsea game, he had a disc issue and he actually told Strand Marshall that his back was messed up. Did you ever know about this sort of issue that Gerrard was going through? And if so, how did you approach it? I didn't know. Wow. I didn't know. So uh, that's the first I've heard of it. So if you did know, how would you have, you know, addressed that situation? Legend of the club, but wanting to play, but having an injury, would you have thought about the team first or would you have kept it? No, you just, I think what you do in that situation, what with any players, you, you have a chat. How are you feeling? How are you doing? I've had similar chats with other players. Uh, there and, and throughout my career, you know, there's there's been times where players have been struggling. You know, I remember a game with Luis Suarez, or you know, where Wigan had come back from international duty. His calf was really tight, and he looked, you know, he looked tired, and he had travelled right way across the world. And I looked at him and I thought, I don't think I can start him. We were playing a game on quarter past five, I think it was against Wigan on telly hmm. I'm thinking I'm not sure I can put him in but I asked listen how are you feeling Louis and he went let me see how I am tomorrow boss and 
we'll take it from there. I ask him on the day of the game, yeah, okay, so right, we're going to give him a go. We win 4 0. He scores a hat trick and was absolutely amazing. So, that communication with the player, I'll always speak with the player if, if they have a niggle like that. But of course, it's such a big game, and, and Stephen's pretty and tight will be that he can get through it and probably wanted to make sure he, uh, he got through it. So, um, yeah, Stephen was great for me in my time there, in particular those first two years, because we changed his position from being a number 10 into being a playmaker but from behind yeah. and uh, those first couple of years in particular he was uh, he was playing at a really high level that was just it was just unfortunate you know you couldn't you just could not have written that at the time you know uh, the only thing I would again would pull the two centre halves in a bit I don't know why they're that wide you know the two centre halves at the time and Steve drops in yeah yeah, yeah. If, if they're yeah. You know, the you know, that's what I'm saying. You get a bit more experience, then they'll naturally be a bit tighter. So if someone does slip or make a mistake, then they can get in on the cover. But listen, yeah. we are all experts in hindsight, eh? Of course, of course. <laughs> twenty twenty. So it. Brendan, what I wanted to ask um during that summer, Luis Suarez left and there was a lot of negotiation. I remember the club tried to get Alexis Sanchez from you know, before he went to Arsenal. Yeah. That failed. You came out and said, we are not interested in Mario Balotelli. A few weeks later, the club signed him. I know you tried to sign Benzema, Cavani, a lot of other suitable options, which, as you mentioned, fit your style of play. During that summer, after losing such a key player, you know, one of the best strikers in the world, do you think that the club backed you properly? Well, it was always going to be very difficult to replace Lou. He was a genuine world-class player. He was fantastic. And and there was always a little bit of uh, stuff written about that team. That it was a one-man team. And that was really unfair. Yeah, it was disrespectful to you, I believe. Yeah, and also to the players. We created a team. Now, that's like saying Tottenham's built around Harry Kane. Harry Kane's a top mm. world striker. But he needs the other guys around him as well. And like, likewise with the, the likes of ourselves, you know. Like the likes of we, we, we Jamie here, he's a, he's a top-level striker. You know, my, my philosophy is, is, is to be attacking and, and with that intent. Uh, so, of course, the attacking players will, will always shine in that. But, but yeah, I think for, for when Louis left, we, um, we were missing that little uh, that spark. Yeah, and like you say, Alexis Sanchez. And, uh, so what happened with that deal? Was it ever close? Yeah, well, we, we had spoken over the summer. Um, and I was led to believe that his, his partner at the time was keen to, to move to London. And uh, he ended up obviously going to Arsenal and done, done fantastic there. So uh, we missed out. And at that time, we had Daniel. And, and Daniel had been struggling a little bit with injury. Fabio Barini was looking to move on to, to Sunderland. Uh, and we had, we, we brought in Ricky Lambert and Ricky was coming in to be the sort of fourth choice striker um, to come in and, and help us and support in cup games and whatnot. But then how it ended up, Louis gone and, and Fabio gone and Daniel 
uh, being around but being the only one along with Ricky then that left us in a really vulnerable position so um, listen, I think it's pretty clear to see that how strikers that I've always worked with that, that Mario didn't uh, fit my uh, my style but the one thing I'll say about Mario is he has he all the talent and, and he genuinely has you know I, I hear things about players thinking he could be that and when I watch them and see them and if I work with them I can normally see the reason why but Mario he should be one of the top three strikers in world football he is he is everything so See, what's that missing link then? Well, it's it's the difference between a talent and a working talent. Mm. It's, it's absolutely, it's as simple as that. You know, you go on to Acme Marshes, I bet you there's some world-class talent there. <laughs> yeah. Dead himself, Brendan. <laughs> but, but don't want to work. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and so, but he, he's, it was just unfortunate. He'd come in, uh, and when Lou had left, uh, and then of course that that we were missing. He's actually his first game. Mario done very well. We played Tottenham had made a decent uh, start with yeah. with Maurizio. And then in one of our first, first games there, we won three 0 at, at, at White Hart Lane, and we were very very good. And he played. Moreno up. scored that goal. I remember. Yeah, yeah. Mario played with, with Daniel yeah. in a diamond and. They worked so well and they were a threat. The problem was that after that game, Daniel got injured. And then that left Mario up there on his own. Mm. And then we went through a period where we just couldn't. We weren't pressing the game. We weren't dynamic and intense enough. Mm. And then after a number of weeks, I thought, I need to change something here because we've lost this... um, We've lost this this ingredient in the team of which we built upon and that's when I played Raheem as a striker and Raheem, we went to 3-4-3 three, three, and Raheem played as a central striker dropping underneath and, and he, was, he was so good So Brendan how do you sum up your time at Liverpool because I remember your you know final full season Steven Gerrard's um, last game um, in a Liverpool shirt I think it was a 6-1 defeat against Stoke and for me as a fan, I was very, very upset at that time because I knew you were a special manager, but I thought you lost a bit of confidence in yourself. So when I speak to Liverpool fans, a lot of them say Brendan's a top manager. He's a top manager. He's a top manager. And there's some that say Brendan, he's a confidence manager. So how, how do you sum up your time at Liverpool? I had a wonderful experience. Um, the first, in particular, the, the first two years of building towards the uh, that run that we had to do when the title was was incredible. We then lost uh, one of the real catalysts of our of our of our team. Um, the third year, actually, I found out a lot about myself in terms of a coaching perspective because we were on a not a great run, and then I had to change it. And we ended up then coming back into the season and playing really well in that system. Uh, but uh, but in that third season, we when we just fell short in the FA Cup, where well, we Aston Villa beat us and, and beat us well in that in that game. I think everyone was was wanting to find to try and get a trophy. Uh, and after we lost that there, 
we probably uh, we, we dipped in our performance level and then of course that last game of the season and uh, yeah that, that wasn't really a true reflection of, of how we we worked and funny enough the beginning of the season the first game of the season was away at Stoke and we had to show a lot of mentality and uh, because only literally six seven weeks later we were back playing at Stoke in the first game and we won 1-0 so, uh, so that was a good a good feeling to, to, to brush aside that memory but I'll never forget the experience at Liverpool, a truly iconic club. Times are different now. When I took over the team, they were in eighth position out of the Champions League. My big objective for that time from the club was, can you get us back into the Champions League? We were able to do that. We nearly won the title and uh, it obviously dipped towards the end, which it sometimes does as a manager. Uh, But it will never, ever take away amazing experience I had there of, of one of the, the, the truly great clubs in the world Final one on Liverpool before we move on um, I remember the game away against Everton the 1-1 draw Danny Ng scoring you came to the away end and you were clapping for me as a Liverpool fan it looked a bit ominous that you were saying your goodbyes then hours later after the Arsenal game it was announced that the club had now parted with you Going into that game, did you know that change was near and that you were going to be leaving the club? No. No, not at all. I think there was a few stories that was going around, which happens in media and, and whatnot, but I, I, didn't, I didn't know a thing. Clearly, obviously, the decision was made, but I, I wasn't aware of it. The first I spoke to the ownership was with Mike Gordon on the way back after the game when I arrived back at the training ground. I got in the car and I was driving home and uh, I got the call from Mike. So, uh, so that was the first time you... And listen, I, I thanked him for it, for the experience. I understood, you know, where they were, where they were coming from. And uh, we, we've parted in, in good terms and we both move on. Now, obviously, after um, leaving Liverpool, Brendan, you moved to another really huge institution in, in Celtic. And I can imagine that this was a very special move for you because, you know, growing up, all of your your family were huge Celtic supporters, right? And you, you had a, a bit of a King Midas touch because everything you were doing was was, was working, um, you know, led them to a, um, an undefeated domestic first season. And as we alluded to in, in the intro, you know, managed to do the, um, the, the, the domestic trouble twice, back to back. When you first moved there, um, and you were having sort of uh, pre-season, one of the things that you mentioned was that it was important to get the players up to fitness, not only physically, but mentally as well. And so I just wanted to ask for you to sort of um, dive into that a bit more. How do you go about helping coach a player from a mentality perspective and, and helping them to get up to speed uh, from, from from that point of view? When I got into Celtic, Ronnie Dilley had been in and Ronnie had two good years. But they just lost to us in the semi-final of the cup and Rangers had beaten them well on the day even though it was on penalties and then they were they were Rangers were then coming into the league again for the first time so there was a bit of a, a trepidation around for a lot of Celtic supporters and people at the club that Rangers were better football team than them at that point and they were coming into the league so for me and understanding the mentality of Celtic and the big club 
is that it was to go in there and create again the vision of right this is how we're going to work this is the standards that we we set and and that every day of your life and training is everything so there's no easy days so that's your job as the, the the manager is to go in and convince the players that this is how we're going to work so that they can really go into the pitch and believe in that and it's just something that's drip fed in every single day both in training uh, through communication and 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 that's Celtic you're into it very quickly because if you win the league you're straight into Champions League qualifiers and Celtic was another club that had been out of the Champions League for about three seasons so a bit similar to, to where Liverpool were five Celtic were three so the big objective was to get back into the, the Premier League or into the Champions League sorry so that's where work started, virtually straight away. Um, it was a huge privilege for me to, to, to go there. I always wanted to manage Celtic at some point in my, my coaching life. Uh, so to be able to do it, uh, going at that point, it was a real, real honour for me. And then we were straight into the world. And, uh, and from the first day I joined, it was, it was absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, but yeah, in terms of changing how they played, and changing the mentality, it's a, it's a day-to-day thing that you set in terms of the standards as a manager. When you were appointed, Peter Lowell came out and said it was a massive coup for the club. And when I look at Celtic, particularly when you were there, you kind of know Celtic will win the league, but it's about excellence. And what you achieved, you've done it in a spectacular fashion that hasn't been seen before. Looking at it, from a managerial point of view, you're always going to be judged in the Champions League for Celtic. When competing against the likes of Man City, Bayern Munich, PSG, it was maybe a step too far. But how did you find that challenge, you know, pitting your wits against the top managers on restricted, you know, finances? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. You know, the, of course, it's, uh, there's a huge disparity in terms of, of the wages, but we had, if you think back to that time at Man City when Pep came in, the first 10 games, they yeah. went away, they were great. And the first stumble they had was away at Celtic. When free, we free game, yeah. Right, yeah, so we played ever so well. Uh, and then, like you say, you're playing against Bayern Munich and PSG. And, of course, it's... So important to a club like Celtic. Uh, people still down here don't understand the sheer size of it, but it's uh, it's a huge institution, and there'll always be that expectation. And, and obviously, remember, Celtic were the first ever British club to win the European Cup, so they've always they always carry that uh, expectancy around the club. So, um, but no, I enjoyed every second of, of being there and, uh, and and all the various competitions that we would be in. Brendan, final question for me on Celtic is, um, what do you say to the people that say, that try and water down your achievements in Scotland? Because they say, oh, it's a one-team league. Going invincible doesn't really count. What do you have to say to people that discredit those achievements at Celtic? Because for me, they were sensational. Yeah, I think it's just whatever narrative people will will want to take. You know, you either... Look at it, and you know we 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 won seven trophies 
in a row in our time there. We created a British unbeaten record where we went 69 games. Uh, our first invincible season was the first time it was ever done. We created a history there. We scored the most goals. You know, the most, uh, we won 34 games of 38. Uh, so in all the generations of Scottish football, that was never done. Even though there's been some great teams and managers and players in that in that period, so we just had an exceptional time there. If it gets watered down, listen, it doesn't. I couldn't care less, <laughs> you know, for for me from a personal perspective because uh, it's it's the nature of it. It depends on the narrative. If people want to discredit it, fine. People want to look at it and go, it's a big pressure to turn up every single game and win and come back from a Barcelona away, away and, and then still win again. It's it's tough from a mental perspective. But I had, uh, had an incredible time there and uh, it was a huge privilege for me to manage it. And then Brendan, after you um, you know had achieved all that you, you had achieved at Celtic, you then obviously um, moved on to Leicester. And going back to that time, you were on the cusp of doing something else that was unprecedented and had not been done before, right? And, you know, you, you remember the, the, the banner, uh, the famous banner, which, which read immortality or, or mediocrity when you were sort of making that move. Looking back at it, was, was that perhaps the most dis, uh, difficult decision you've had to make in your managerial career? in that you're on the cusp of something so great, but then you've got another great and wonderful opportunity uh, moving to Leicester. Yeah, it is. It is so difficult. One, because again, the people, you know, we had, uh, from when we went into the club to where the club was at at that point, it was a, it was a different club. You know, the connection between the supporters, the team and the, and, and, and the matter and ever was, was really strong. You know, we had we were in an incredible period. You know, I was only the third manager in the history of the club to complete the treble. We were able to do it as an invincible treble, and then we did it again. You know, so and then people will say, "Well, you could have stayed and done a third one," but then, and then you could have done a fourth. You know, yeah. I felt at the time when I left Celtic, the team was eight points clear. And when you think of all the, the, the seasons up until that point, Celtic had always won the league by double figures. You know, my previous season, we uh, we uh, we won by, uh, what was it, 30 points. So I felt, and, and strategically, that, okay, we'd won the League Cup, eight points clear in the league, and the team is then in a good position in the Scottish Cup as well. So... If it was one point, I, I couldn't leave. But I felt that when I spoke with my staff and, and then took the ultimate decision that the team's in a good place, there's, there, there's a mentality now within the team and you feel, and not just in hindsight, but you feel the club will, will continue and, and can go on and win the, uh, the, the treble again. And, uh, and then I can come into Leicester where I can look at the team under pressure for 10 games and then see how the players are and then I can then build something in the summer to then hopefully come into this season and uh, and take off. And listen, again, there'll be fours and against that. 
but ultimately you have to be unsentimental in in mm. football life because this is a business you love football I love football we watch it's incredible but it's also a business eh it's also a business and when you have to make decisions you have to be unsentimental in them like I had family who were just distraught yeah I left Celtic like just couldn't believe it I've relations that haven't spoke to me since the day I left so oh wow yeah absolutely because it's That's just how much it meant to them it meant so much to them wow. you know and if you carry all of that too much you would never do anything would you so um but uh, but Silk is I had some unforgettable memories at Silty that live with me for a lifetime that I still think about now and I then come into my next experience. And for me, I left school with nothing. No qualifications, no nothing. My life has been based on experiences. Hence the reason why I'm, I look for the experiences. And this, for me, was I felt from a sporting perspective was going to be the next good experience. Yeah. yeah so as you mentioned, coming to Leicester, Claude Powell was the manager before you know, the press said his style of play was pedantic, slow. And you're obviously the total opposite to that. You like pressing with energy, pressing from the front, playing on the front foot. Leicester, from the outside looking in, if you believe media reports, people call it, you know, the player power stadium because, you know, of recent managers, the players have been accused of getting them out of the job. But from working with these players, the Casper Schmeichels, the Wesley Morgans, the Jamie Vardys, how would you describe the dressing room environment and how have you gone about freshening up the team? Yeah, you know, obviously all these, these stories and, and, and whatnot, and of course I'd seen some of them from the outside, but the manager's the manager. The manager has the authority. But what you have to have is you have to have good leaders in your in your changing room. And from the first day I walked into here, the guys that you mentioned, Wes Morgan is one of the best people I've ever met in my life. Absolutely, what a guy this guy is. <laughs> through lower level, right the way through. He's won the Premier League and and how he trains every day at 36. He's just like a and, and a genuine, honest guy. Casper Schmeichel cares, 33, but throws himself about every day. He wants to win. He wants to do well. Jamie Vardy, look at him, 33. His body, how he looks after himself. Johnny Evans, Christian Fuchs. All these guys. It's about leading them. It's about creating a vision for them and for them to feel a part of it. Because the game's about the players. The game is the players. And you guide and support and then create the, the focus for them and the mentality for them in order to succeed. Right. So I've never had one I've never had one problem with them at all. I've come in on day one, showed my vision, this is how I want to work, these are the standards that will set the mentality. And uh, if you want to be a part of the journey, then great. Brendan, final one. Um, you've been absolutely terrific. We've learned a lot um, during this, mm -hmm. and thank you very much. But 
what do you have to say to the Leicester faithful? They're not going to be able to watch their team, you know, at the stadium for a very long time. You guys are building something amazing at the club with young players, experienced players. The owners have backed you. So what is your message to the fans? I think firstly, in this period of time and, and going forward, the key first message is to make sure you stay safe and well. You know, we will all be winners if we come out of this here and are all alive and well. You know, it's a virus that I think everyone has seen that has, uh, that has had catastrophic consequences for so many families. Uh, so the important thing is to stay safe. We, from whatever which way we can, will try to entertain them, whether they have to sit at home or sit somewhere else if they can't be in the stadium. We will continue to fight and work and run to make them proud for wherever they are watching. We'd obviously prefer for them to be in the stadium. Uh, but if they can't be, we will carry them with us as close as we can and we will ensure that our, that the cause we're fighting for isn't just for ourselves out on the field with no fans, but for them as well, wherever they are watching. So, um, so stay safe and uh, uh, we can uh, continue to give you the pride in your team that hopefully you've had for the last period of time. Brendan. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, the time gone by. We've, I'm sure, got so many more questions. We'd love to uh, run by you. But, um, of course, in the interest of time, we know you're a, a very busy guy. You've got... Uh, plans and, and, and things that you need to sort of uh, crack on with and, and that kind of thing. So uh, we, we really appreciate the time that you have uh, shared with us. Like, like um, uh, Dot already mentioned, we've, we've learned loads. We've, we've, we've spoken about your career and, and got your thoughts and, and views on so many different things and we really appreciate it. Um, and we know 100% our, our listeners are definitely going to appreciate this one. Don't you agree, guys? Yeah. Yeah, you, I just want to say thank you, Brendan. I think this is massive for our community where we're from we see managers on the tv and it's sort of like they're over there we're over here we're not going to mix and i think by you coming onto our platform it's going to open the minds of many people from our community to say that we can have normal conversations about football with our heroes and our idols so once again brendan from the bottom of my heart thank you thank you very much thank you guys thank you brendan absolute pleasure and if you ever need any support help because at the end of the day, we're all people, right? Mm, yeah. Not players up there. We're people that's trying to help each other. So if you need any help, support, just uh, just let me know. Thank you, Brendan. Absolute Thank honour. Enjoy your day. Guys. Take care. Thank you. All the best. Take care. All the best. All the best. Bye. 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 So there you have it, wow. guys. We're going to leave it there. It's I thought we ended. Pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it from you heard it from the horse's mouth. That was that was Brendan Rogers. So before we sign out, as per usual, we need to remind you if you're not yet following, I don't know what you're doing. We've given you multiple warnings. We've we've we've, we've told you we've got big things coming. Maybe now you'd listen and take heed. So subscribe to the YouTube channel, The Beautiful Game. Um, you can listen to our episodes also on Spotify, SoundCloud, and on Apple Podcasts as well. If you are listening in on Apple Podcasts, please make sure you leave a five-star review. If you're not yet following us on Instagram, it's uh, at pod underscore TBG. And on Twitter, at podcast underscore TBG. And we are going to continue delivering and providing you guys with top-level content. So stay tuned.
tuned till the next episode. Over and out. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.